You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I am Manny Manuel. I'm so glad I had the episode number written down because we did not discuss that before we came on air as we <laughs> typically do. So true. Or I've just got the memory of an elephant over here. Wow, let's go with the latter. That's more of a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> also, another thing we didn't talk about off the top or before we got on air that I wanted to mention was a happy birthday, Jordan. Oh, uh, what the hell? Happy yeah, birthday, Jordan. That's spectacular. Well, tentatively because technically we're recording this on the 20th and her birthday is not till the 25th but it uh well it's kind of weird because this episode will come out after her birthday too so somewhere in the middle there you know happy birthday jordan but i could i could maybe i could i'll try and release it on her birthday that'd be nice yeah on the 25th i'll hold on i'll make a note yeah happy current birthday jordan i am currently in seattle watching the jays and probably being inebriated okay uh release (laughs) as many types his notes 25th okay i'll try and make i'll try and make that happen let's hope so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> happy birthday jordan past <laughs> and future guest yes indeed emphasis on the future guest yeah uh and, a, and an exclusive member of the two-time club <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty you're married to that name eh? i really am Okay. <laughs> Two-time club it is. All right. Um, so uh, before we get into the meat of the show, Manny, tell the people where they can find us on social media. Oh, they can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. And if you want to listen to us, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or our website, which I'm not going to give you the address for because it's ridiculously long. But if you want just to check us, the show notes. Yeah, or just Google it. Just yeah, Google it. Google it. There can't be there can't be two Samuel Manuel movie podcasts. I would be very impressed if that was the case. Yeah, just Google us up. It'll take you right there. And if you want to email us, you can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Well said. You get better at it every time. What is it today, Manny? Um, keeping in mind that today's topic was it was it switched around a couple of times. We had uh, some some planning issues with today, but I think you of all people are going to be very satisfied with the topic of this week's podcast. Yes, today we are discussing the 2001 film, the crime thriller, crime <laughs> as, thriller. as IMDb tags this as a crime thriller i don't know if i want to classify that as a thriller that's <gasps> there is no way that this is a thriller it is crime crime One... they get they get marks for full One... marks this should be a crime comedy yeah no that's yes it's a crime comedy yes okay cool uh oceans 11 this is one of my just most enjoyable movies to watch um Ocean's Eleven was released on December 7th, 2001. 
directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Ted Griffin, based off the 1960s screenplay of the same name, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Julia Roberts, has a meta score of 74, had a budget of 85 million, it grossed 183 in the US, 450 worldwide. The plot, Danny Ocean and his 11 accomplices plan to rob three Las Vegas casinos simultaneously. Now, much to my surprise, my co-host, Samuel, had never seen Ocean's Eleven. Never seen it. Wow. Sam, you now have seen this 2001 crime thriller? Correct. What are your spoiler-free thoughts on this little gem of a film? So I was really excited to watch this. I knew this was one that had been a, a pretty glaring omission from my list. I knew it was one that you really liked. Um, I knew it was one that a lot of people I know really liked, and I can't honestly give you a good reason why I hadn't seen it before. And after having watched it, I'm even further away from giving you a good reason for me having not watched it before, because this is a really, really fun movie. Yeah. I had so much fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I'm, I'm also noticing um, that this came out December 7th, 2001. Manny, did you see this on your birthday, perchance? Um, it, actually, probably pretty close. This, is, this was released the day before my birthday. Yes. The chances of me seeing this on my birthday weekend were probably pretty high. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. Uh, you would have been, what, six? No. Uh, like, yeah, like five. Five like, years old? Yeah, just turned five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the chances of me seeing this opening weekend were probably pretty high. I, I know for a fact I saw it in the theater because I was fucking pumped to see this movie. Mm. And, um, yeah, it, it, it honestly brings me so much joy to hear that you had a good time watching this yeah. movie. I think um, as long as we're still in spoiler-free mode, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna start by listing off a couple of things that I didn't like about this movie because there are so few. Okay, like, like I'm going to be sucking the dick of this movie through <laughs> the entire duration of this podcast. So I'm gonna the the main thing that comes to mind right now, which is it's just a such a tiny nitpick. It's barely even a thing, but I couldn't help but feel like everything went too smoothly like these people were too good at their jobs yes the movie does the movie does do a good job of inserting these little things that go wrong with the plot like um you know uh, not spoiling anything that you know how any of these problems are resolved but like the briefcase on top of the little trolley thing and like uh like there, there are so many things in this in this plan that you don't know if they're part of the heist or if they're just things that are going wrong and that's really cool that being said, there were some moments in this movie where I just I couldn't even be bothered to doubt that this was going to go absolutely perfectly and absolutely the way that they planned. Because every one of these people is just so good at what they do, which now that I'm saying it barely even sounds like a complaint and it barely is. But that was like the one if I'm trying to find a nitpick, that was the one I could kind of find. Can I just say something about that? Yeah, nitpick? of course. Not, of course. not like there, everything you say is right. But Steven yeah. Soderbergh, I found a quote from Steeter, uh, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, he said that the film was an opportunity to give audiences pleasure from beginning to end. He wanted it to be a movie that you just surrender to without embarrassment and without regret. Yeah, which hey, it, that's what it was. I'd, I'd say mission accomplished if that was what he was going for. Yeah, there's if if I'm trying, I always try to weigh the pros and cons, no matter what, no matter how good it is. And if I'm trying, if I'm really trying to dig out a con, I, no pun intended, I guess. Um, it would be that um, I, I think it just went a little bit too smoothly, uh, like not quite enough um, 
Uh, I, I let's put it this way: I never had a doubt in my mind that this plan was going to work perfectly. Fair enough. Let's put it that way. I under, like I understand, and I <laughs> I'm, I think I'm we're coming from. I think you're coming from an era of like your generation where a lot of movies now kind of for lack of a better word are a little bit more cynical where things yeah. things go wrong and they overcome the problems along the plan where this yeah. movie they set the plan and it follows that plan perfectly and everything goes their way and you know what i'm just realizing uh, as we're talking about this the timing of this episode as much as i've said it's super convenient um as far as the criticism of it goes it's sort of uh a little bit unfortunate that we're doing this two weeks after Triple Frontier, right? <laughs> because in Triple Frontier, no spoilers if you haven't seen it, go listen to that episode. Um, <clears throat> the things go very poorly, and uh, you know the movie is more so about uh, the problems with greed and how it can corrupt people and how it can be more costly than the heist itself. And it's, it's a, like you said, it's a very cynical movie, and it, it's more of an indictment on the people doing the heist. This movie. Ocean's Eleven is a lot more fun than that. It's yes. a lot more lighthearted. Like you said, it's more of a comedy. Whereas Triple Frontier is a really serious look at the nature of greed and how it can corrupt people. Yep. So it's maybe I'm still a little bit in Triple Frontier mode. You know, maybe I was just expecting a little bit more of the um, nuance of, of that opinion. But not not that this movie needed that at all. It was just super fun, super fun from front to back. Yeah, this is a this is a this is a total lighthearted fun movie. And uh, I'm really glad that you had a lot of fun with it. And that's what this is. Like, they weren't trying for something serious. This was a bunch of... And the marketing at the time for this movie was all about fun. All they did was stress at how much fun that this cast had with one another mm -hmm. over and over again. And the marketing and, and the promos building up to it. And, like, when they did, you know, when they did the talk show circuit and all that kind of stuff, all the cast talked about was how much fun they had making this movie. And it comes across on the screen because at no point are you ever watching this movie and you can just see – I, I, I would give anything to see the outtakes from this movie. Like, <laughs> they probably had so much fun. So much fun. Um, I right, am well, – go ahead, Sam. Oh, I, I was just going to say I got nothing else to say and I want to start talking about this movie. All right. Okay. So <laughs> why, don't you, uh, why don't you give people the spoiler bumper? All right, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. We both loved the movie. Go see it if you haven't already. Can't imagine you'd be listening to us talk if you had not. But in the event that you haven't, here is your spoiler warning. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Here we go. Nice. First thing I want to dive into uh, is the dialogue. The dialogue written by Ted Griffin is, while it isn't Oscar-worthy, it's snappy and witty I know that there's a lot of improvisation on set, but this dialogue in this in this movie is so well done, and there's so many small little background things and things throughout this movie that you get that you get to notice when you watch it multiple times. Did you get to watch it twice, Sam, or just once? No, just just the one time. Okay, I've got I've got so many little things that I'm going to point out, and I I was always I'm as I was rewatching it for this episode, I kept wondering. I'm like. Is Sam, will Sam notice this? Did he catch okay. this line? Um, so there's so many. Um, Pressure's on. No, not even pressure. Just like it's <laughs> it's the kind of thing that I like. I think you'll when you when you watch this again because I now knowing how much you enjoyed it, I think you're going to end up watching it again. Mm -hmm. um, I can't wait for you to kind of see these things the next time you watch it. 
Okay. Um, so obviously, <laughs> as always, you go into these movies blind. How did you like it when your boy showed up? Uh, Topher Grace? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to point that out. But yeah, I, I think I, I did watch this movie with Jordan, and I think my exact words were, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my boy Topher Grace of That 70s Show fame and uh, Venom uh, slash Spider-Man 3 infamy uh, shows up in the beginning of this movie. Yeah. Um, the... The scene where Brad Pitt is teaching all of these little teen idols how to play poker. Um, these guys would have been teen idols a little bit before your time. So obviously you know who Topher Grace was. Did you know who any of the others were at that table? Uh, I don't have anything written down, no. Okay, so the girl was Holly Mary Combs. She was on a, a TV show called Charmed. Okay. Joshua Jackson of Dawson's Creek. All right. Uh, Barry Watson of Seventh Heaven and right. Shane West. Uh, they have him listed here as once and again, but he was on, he was actually more famous for this movie. Oh, God. I'm actually going to have to look that up. Um, is Shane West is the name? Yeah, Shane West. Okay, it's it's a little teen romantic movie, I think, with uh, Mandy Moore. Um, before Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. The, uh, get Over It? No. Uh Whatever it takes. No. A time for dancing. No. Liberty Heights. No. Get a clue. Keep going. Dracula two thousand. Keep going. Um. Well, that's that's it before Ocean's Eleven. But okay. there's a walk to remember. That's right the after. one. Okay. That's the one. A walk to remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that he's most famous for. Yeah, um, I don't know. How did you like the poker scene? Being a Topher Grace fan and a poker fan. <laughs> Yeah, I have to admit to you, I, I do chuckle every time poker is portrayed in movies because there's this big romanticized idea about what it is that is just not really what it is anymore. Just like Brad Pitt being the suave guy who can just look into the soul of the man across the table and just know what he's got in his hand. Like, it's, it's not <laughs> really what the game is anymore, but movies keep telling us that it is. And like, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the movie or anything like that. But it was uh, it was a little bit predictable, you know. He keeps he's very uh, <clears throat> very arrogant about his read on the other player, and he turns out to have quads. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of I chuckled anyway, and I liked uh, Tover Grace's line, of course, when he says, "I've got all reds." No, oh, he's <laughs> like, guys, 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 all reds. Yeah, yeah, I and did I did chuckle. At that. Oh, it's so perfect because Brad Pitt just looks and they show the cards, and they're both diamonds and hearts so it has no hand whatsoever yeah. and he just i'm gonna sh sad sadly it's a it's a it's an audio podcast but brad pitt just takes his drink puts it against his temple <laughs> just like that oh it's fucking brilliant it's brilliant it's it's a good thing it's an audio podcast because we wouldn't have wanted to give coca-cola free advertising man. that's so true or the red Sox. who wants to advertise the red Sox? they suck right now and yeah. um i also i also love uh, Pitt's line at the end of that. Uh, I'm not sure what four nines does, but I think the ace is pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. is also in this scene, and I'm going to suck the dick of this movie a lot because of how much I love it. And it's, again, the small things. So if you're paying attention, and you might not know kind of this kind of reference, but when Brad Pitt, he remember, he leaves the poker game and then comes back and Clooney's in there? Yeah. Do you can you do you, did you hear Topher's Grace line as as Pitt's coming in because he's talking to George Clooney? 
I don't think I did, no. He's like, <laughs> oh, shit. What does he say again? Hold on. I got, I got to find it. I got to find it. Uh... I'm so glad every time we get an opportunity to talk about Topher Grace, not only in passing, but like in depth on the podcast. This, yeah. is, this is great. <laughs> He's talking to George Clooney and he says, he says, some, I don't ha- I don't have the quote down here. He says something along the lines like, I'm, I'm, or no, Clooney asks Topher, are you finding it hard to transition from TV to movies? And he says, no, it shouldn't be a problem at all. And that's a running joke amongst Hollywood that it's hard to transition from TV to movies. But one man who did it incredibly well, George Clooney. Nice. Because he was originally what, ER? ER, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it helps to be, like, just breathtakingly handsome. Yes. I feel uh, like that's a benefit. Yeah. And he's all, he was also really good on ER. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then one, it's again, it's a subtle thing that, uh, it's like a little inside joke after they leave the poker game, they leave that club and all the fans and paparazzi outside crowd around Topher Grace while George Clooney and Brad Pitt walk right through completely like, obviously they're not George Clooney and Brad Pitt in the movie, but the, yeah. at the time, two of the biggest stars, well, Clooney was the biggest star in the world at that time. They walk by and nobody bats an eyelash. It's little little inside jokes like that that are fucking hilarious <laughs> yeah all good stuff i can't say i picked up on a lot of this actually to be to be honest with you i'm last week with heat it's funny i didn't feel like i gave that movie the respect it deserved but i picked up on a lot of the the stuff that you were pointing out this this i was like fully invested and uh, a lot of it flew over my head oh dude, that, that must be telling oh when you when you go back and watch well, I'm, I'm sure you will after now that you've seen it and how how yes. it's this movie's so easy and breezy. Like this is the kind of movie that if you want to sit down and invest in something, it's the kind of movie that will reward you because it's such a great thrill ride and so much fun. But this is also the kind of movie you can have on in the background. Yeah. Well, it, it's like what I talked about last week with Heat, where like sometimes you get that as a viewer where the the screen dissolves and it's just you know you're you're in the movie like you're 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 not. I'm not Sam Reimer watching a movie. I'm just an observer watching these characters, you know? And I got that this week, you know? Like, with Ocean's Eleven, I was just so invested. So I don't think... I wasn't really looking for... Like, I wasn't sitting there like, wow, the cinematography is really great in the scene, even though the cinematography in a lot of spots is surprisingly good. And I wasn't sitting there, like, listening to the soundtrack and the score and, like, the performances. I was just, like, in the movie enjoying this heist, you know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Um... The chemistry between Pitt and Clooney in this movie is so fucking good. Well, you already talked about the dialogue a little bit, but I like how there are numerous instances of them talking about old members of their world and what happened to them. And uh, <laughs> like, there, there's one uh, like somebody. Everyone's leaving the game because of different health health issues. Like one of the guys they're talking about has skin cancer. One of the guys they're talking about has ulcers. I can't remember the lines. You probably do. Well, he goes. He's they're they're trying to find somebody, and they go. So and so. Oh, uh, died, or uh, yeah, died of skin cancer. Did you attend his funeral? They did his wife. <laughs> yeah, and I think now that I'm remembering it, uh, they're talking about they're talking about this guy who died. And he's like, "Oh my god!" During a job, and he says skin cancer. This yep. is just like sort of a, a throwaway line. And I, I found that really funny. I like they're they're not even dying in cool ways. It's just a very realistic, boring way for someone to die. Um, the <clears throat> so. 
what did you think of the uh, Vegas robbery montage? Uh what were they were they going over oh sorry yeah they're going over previous robbery attempts the, th- the three greatest robberies in vegas history it was um i'm trying to think of a way to put this it felt out of place um, no that's not, that's not what i'm trying to say it drew attention to itself it drew attention to itself in the movie as like sort of a weird insert and a weird little flashback but i liked it it was it was kind of cute i fucking loved it man yeah that last one <laughs> Take my breath away. <laughs> I fucking die. Die yeah, every time. shot out by the fountains. Yes. Yeah. Have you been to Vegas? No, I haven't. I, I mean, you, you remember, I'm 22 years old. I haven't really had a lot of time. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair. I plan to, though. As a poker player, you best believe I, have, I plan to go to Vegas in the next couple of years. Nice. Hmm. Oh, my God, that's going to be good times. I can't wait till you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know you're a Vegas fiend, right? I am a Vegas fiend, yes. Nice. Yeah, I am a big fan, a big fan of Vegas. Cool. And um, so they start putting uh, they start putting the team together. Uh, so obviously the the uh, the first person they recruit is uh, Frank Catton, Bernie Mac, R.I.P. Bernie Mac, who's really funny in this movie, and he, I mean in everything he's in. Yeah, but yeah, really funny in this movie. I, I love the intro to his character. Where uh, Danny sits down at his table and says, how's it going, Frank? And he says, I'm sorry. My name is Ramon. You must have me mistaken for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and they have like they clearly have this little code between the two of them about arranging a meeting. And yep. it, it's one of the things this movie does so well is it like alludes to this big, grand backstory between all these characters. And there's like this whole mythology and this whole web of people that could almost be like a Game of Thrones scale. Yes. Like, web of criminals and we just get to we're, we're privy to this little corner of it i love when movies just can world build in, in a way such as this we've, we've talked about world building before especially i mean with us talking about game of thrones but world building doesn't have to be you know fantasy or sci-fi like it doesn't have to set up a different set of rules or a different universe it's just it really fleshes out this corner of the world that we live in so well yeah do you do you want? I, and I think this will lead right into what you uh, what you're talking about because this is mm-hmm. one of the things I love the most. So, this is when Rusty says to Danny when they're planning, they're just about to recruit. Off the top of my head, I say you're looking at a Boski, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethros, and a Leon Spinks. Not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> That's one of the many things I'm talking about. Yeah, because like I don't know what any of those things mean. Do you Does want me to matter? tell you? Of course not. I have no idea what any of that is. Would you like to know? I would love to know what all All right, here we go. This is how it breaks down. The list of cons was created by director Steven Soderbergh and a screenwriter that described the type of people and cons needed to knock over the three casinos. Boski. Saul playing Lyman Zerga. This is a reference to Ivan Boski, a big-time trader on Wall Street who got caught committing securities fraud. The con is about a wealthy bankroller who has insider information. Jim Brown. The confrontation between Frank Catton and Linus Caldwell staged to distract Terry Benedict so that Linus can lift the security codes to the vault, named for the famous American football player Jim Brown. Miss Daisy, the SWAT vehicle used as the getaway car from the movie title Driving Miss Daisy. Two Jethros, the Beverly Hillbillies, the Malloy brothers, Hillbilly gearhead types, hired to take care of Miss Daisy, distraction purposes, and for general two-man work. 
Leon Spinks, the disruption of the boxing match. This refers to the surprise victory of Leon Spinks over Muhammad Ali. Ella Fitzgerald, the loop tape of the robbery that is played over Benedict's security system, a reference to a 1970s commercial for Memorex in which a recording of Ella Fitzgerald's voice breaks a glass and the question is posed to the viewer, is it live or is it Memorex? <laughs> That's what all those mean. Man, that those are some pretty niche references. Like, good luck guessing what those mean if you're not uh, if you if you're not already in the know. Yeah, I, and I'd always I always knew what a couple of them meant. Like, I I obviously I know who Leon Spinks was, so I knew what that was. Yeah. And I knew the Jim I knew what the Jim Brown reference is, but none of the other ones did I know about until I did the research for this podcast. Well, I knew who Jim Brown was, but I don't I still don't really understand the reference. Yeah, it's uh, the reference. Uh, Jim Brown. Well, did he get into some argument with a player or something like that? No, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Jim Brown was also in. It's an old war film. I can see uh, the Dirty Dozen. I'm pretty sure he was in the Dirty Dozen. Right. Um. So yeah. So, <laughs> and I agree. It's I love they they do all this world building. Uh, using these, I love the vernacular, and I, I love I I love that this is thrown in there, and it's never referenced again. They don't explain what these things mean. No, uh, it's so it's it's this again. It's all we say is the little touches, the world building that we love so much in these kind of movies. Yeah, the the vernacular, like it, like you said, it has no purpose really, other than to show the the level that these two are on with each other like the, it fleshes out the relationship with Brad Pitt and George Clooney that they all already know what's being talked about and we have no idea and it just it 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 make it alludes to this again this whole mythology of like criminal words and code words that that we don't know it it just fleshes out the world that little bit more yeah mm-hmm. um then we get uh so we got Frank, we got Danny, we got Rusty, our good old boy Rusty, with uh, played by Brad Pitt. Then we get uh, Elliot Gould, who is the one that tells us the uh, the lovely three greatest robberies in Las Vegas history. Um, and then we get the Malloy boys, Virgil and Turk, played by Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn. Yes. How did you like those boys? I liked them. I mean, I'm a... <laughs> I'm a fan of Casey Affleck as an actor. Him as a person is, um, you know, another story. Yeah. But, um, uh, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you've probably heard me talk about Manchester by the Sea being just an amazing movie. Obviously, this is not that. This is the exact opposite of Manchester <laughs> by the Sea because it's fun and I plan to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I will probably never watch Manchester by the Sea again. I actually, I loved that movie and want I want to watch it again, but I just need to... I need to motivate myself to watch it. It's work watching that movie with how upsetting it is. You might need to watch that and then this right after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, Casey Affleck, uh, back before anyone knew he was a good actor, um, is, is really fun in this movie. I love his uh, his banter with Scott Kahn. Uh, the scene in particular where Matt Damon is sitting in the back of the van. Yes. And he, he yells to, to Ocean as they're going into a building. He says, no, don't leave me with them. And <laughs> then they just start yelling back and forth. And, man, they, they have a, a really good chemistry. And then, of course, their argument in the uh, in the casino is pretty funny as well. Yeah. <laughs> with the balloons? Yeah, the balloon boy. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, those two uh, work so well uh, with one another. Um, I also again, I'm gonna be ta- I'm gonna be quoting this movie so much because there's just so many great lines, and they have. Well, actually, I'll get to it because it gets to the end here. Um, so then they get uh, a Livingston, uh, played by Eddie Jemison. That's their tech guy, who uh, I have no idea if he's been in anything else. I guess I could probably just look here, but I don't recognize him from anything prior or since, um, except for the obvious sequels uh, to these movies. Uh, hold on, I'm just trying to find who exactly it is that you're talking about here. Uh, it's Eddie Jemison. I guess I could just click on him myself. Let's see. Mm. Uh, oh, this was actually apparently his movie debut. Wow, good for oh, him. That's, oh, sorry, yeah, that's his film debut. And then prior to that, he had a couple small things in uh, TV. He was in Bruce. Man, what a, he was what a in, first role. He was in Bruce Almighty. Uh, I've seen that movie a bunch. Why don't I know who he is? He played a character named Bobby. Um, I have no idea. Then he was in The Punisher. Don't recognize him from that. Uh, don't recognize any of these other movies at all. I re- well, I recognize the Veronica Mars movie, but I never saw it. And then, yep, I don't... Nope. It's weird, because I recognized him so strongly for, from something. Like I don't remember him in Bruce Almighty, although I have seen that movie a bunch of times. So, I don't know. And I don't really watch a lot of crime shows that he appears to be in, like NCIS. Yeah. Oh well. Whatever. That's good old Eddie. But he was good. He was good and and enjoyable in this movie. Yeah. I honestly I wanted more of him because um, the intro to his character is pretty fun. How they're talking about his nerves. They show um, is it other cops or like FBI agents that are touching his tech equipment? Yeah. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he kind of has like a spaz attack over it. Like he's really not a fan. Yeah. And then we see him getting like tangled up in a dog leash and stuff. And it's really established that he's like a character. You yes. know, he's really eccentric and weird and a little bit loopy. And then we don't I, I feel like we don't really see a whole lot of him after that. But, or at least we don't get to see him doing anything really fun. You know? Yeah, I agree. A lot of the, a lot of it is just like tech, tech babble after that. So I kind of left the movie wanting more from him. I'm just trying to remember. He, I think he's got a couple fun things in the sequels. Oh, okay. As well. Um, which which I anticipate having to watch, I guess, eh? Yeah, we might. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, next up, we get, uh, they recruit uh, Basher Tar, played by Don Cheadle. <laughs> I love me some Don Cheadle. Terrible accent. Yeah. Really bad accent. He, uh, a couple things with, uh, with Don Cheadle. Uh, one, he, uh, he knows that the accent was bad. Uh, <clears throat> so he actually, in the sequels, uh, tried to get rid of it, but the producers wouldn't let him. Why didn't he just improve it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you didn't notice, and actually I didn't notice again until I started doing research for this podcast. He's actually uncredited in this movie. What? Yeah. Why? Uh, uh, because it was to a dispute over his billing. He actually wanted above the title billing with Clooney, Damon, and Pitt, but he was refused. So he actually, he said he, he refused to be credited at all. That seems petty as fuck, but okay. And then he received above the title billing in the two sequels. (sighs) Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, even like, I don't know. Was he ever 
even close to being as big as those guys? Not as big, but at the time he was uh, he was riding pretty high. I'd have to double check on the time, but he was he did have a, a best actor nomination for Hotel Rwanda. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, so just after this, so th- this this would be around the crest of his um, of his stardom. He was he was doing uh, he was doing some pretty good work around this time. Um, so him wanting above the title is kind of surprising because let's see leading up to leading up to oceans 11 while he was in swordfish i don't remember oh that's an uncredited cameo while he was in mission to mars oh and the family man traffic which we had we had talked about Mm -hmm. um out of sight in 98 which is a movie that uh, will definitely be added onto our list Uh, he was in boogie nights and volcano Devil in a Blue Dress. So yeah, he was, he was, he was doing pretty good leading up into this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This is this is where Don Cheadle's career is at. His first mention in my notes, he is referred to as War Machine. That's that's he is better known as War Machine, I think now, especially in my generation, oh, than he is as Don Cheadle. One hundred percent. And it's really unfor- like it's what's really unfortunate is if you actually watch a lot of these early two thousand films with Don Cheadle, mm-hmm. um, like basically every I'd say kind of everything from ninety seven, let's see, up till well you seen him in you saw him in Crash. Yeah. So well, maybe even up to two thousand seven. Yeah, right up. You know what? Honestly, everything right up until 2010 when he showed up in Iron Man 2 as War Machine. That kind of run, like especially, um, well, like I said, out of sight, he's really good. He's in this HBO movie, The Rat Pack, where he plays Sammy Davis Jr. He's really good in that. Nice. I don't really remember him in Bullworth. I liked him in Traffic. Mission to Mars is kind of a summer blockbuster about exactly what they just said that is a mission to mars hmm. family man not too bad i don't remember him in rush hour 2 but that was an uncredited cameo they say uh swordfish a, a kind of a summer blockbuster about computer hacking uh big cast uh, that's john travolta hugh jackman um oceans 12 um hotel rwanda is where he got his uh oscar nomination crash he's in an oscar winner uh, the 2006 films I don't really recognize. Uh, Rain Over Me and Ocean's 13 and Darfur Now were all... Well, Darfur Now is a documentary. Um, those are all pretty big. He was like... He was a pretty big star, but him wanting above the title credit as those previous three guys is a little far-fetched, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, like, I, I'm only... I'm trying to figure out where exactly I've even seen Don Cheadle, like... I mean, I knew he was in Hotel Rwanda, but I haven't seen it. So I'm trying to think of what I have seen him in. And off the top of my head, Buggy Nights is like one of the only ones outside of like Ocean's Eleven and the MCU where I've actually seen him. And Crash, like you said. And Traffic. And Traffic, yes. Yeah. So two, two awesome. He's, he's going to be in Space Jam 2? Uh, yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> Which is a totally necessary movie, apparently. Yeah. Um... So yeah, besides his uh, horrible uh, accent, uh, Don Cheadle actually has a couple of fun moments for me in the movie. When he sets off the pinch, he covers his covers his covers his stick and kind of turns away. Yeah, because um, that's going to stop the radiation. Yes, 
But also, this is one of my favorite parts. And again, it's one of the small things that I probably guarantee you never noticed. But you remember... <laughs> and when you rewatch the movie, you'll, you'll love it even more. But when Basher... Remember, there's the destruction of the casino and Basher goes down to the sewers. And then he comes back to tell everyone how the plan got fucked up. Right? We can't do what we're going to do. And this is where he says... This is where they change their plan. They have to go get the pinch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So remember, he's covered in all that gunk. And he's yeah. he's standing by himself talking to the whole crew. And the whole crew, they're all huddled together and they're all listening to him. In the very back of the crew, the only person, Matt Damon, is covering his nose with his shirt because Basher stinks from being in the sewer. But he's <laughs> the only one doing it. Everyone else is acting normal, but standing yeah. in the very back... Matt Damon's got his nose covered, acting like Basher stinks the okay. whole time. But and, and what's the source of that? Like because I, I Basher mean, was because Basher was down the sewers. Well, yeah, but like why? Why didn't anyone else do it then? Why didn't the that's on the director to go? Yes, like every like react more like that. Like I feel like that's something that should be that I th- should have more attention drawn to. It. I think it's even funnier that the nine other people are not reacting to it. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you it's just even, can't keep it together. It's even better because Matt Damon's at the back of the crowd. He's not yeah. up front because up front is and, Clooney and Pitt, obviously. And honestly, maybe it kind of works because Matt Damon's character is the one who has the acting job in, in the heist, right? So if it's established that he can't keep it together or if it's hinted in the background that he can't keep it together, you know, maybe maybe that heightens the stakes a little bit more. Oh, God, it's so delicious. Like when once you see it, he's the only person you watch the whole time. Yeah, I, I cannot wait for a rewatch already. Oh, it's so good. Um, next up, we have uh, they pick up uh, Shabo Quinn as the Amazing Yen, who um, doesn't really have like a whole lot of great things. the the best The best Yen moment in the entire movie is when uh, is when he gets into the box and Brad Pitt says, "Hey, you want anything? Uh, magazine?" And then you just see his middle <laughs> finger come out of the top of the box. I fucking cackled at that part. That was really funny. Yeah, he's he's fun in this. This is uh, this is his acting debut. He actually doesn't speak English. Uh, mm-hmm. I also love that they don't subtitle his when he's speaking Mandarin, but everyone still yeah. knows what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, especially I think Brad Pitt is usually like the one responding, right? Yeah. 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 Um and then they get Carl Reiner uh, uh, well, Sal Bloom, played by Carl Reiner. Yes. Um, so now they have everybody, and this is where uh, there's one of my favorite lines and favorite moments in the movie, because they're sitting there, they have what they think is everybody, and then Pitt and Clooney are sitting in a bar, and Clooney goes, do you think we need one more? You think we need one more. Okay, we'll get one more. And Pitt's just standard, <laughs> makes no reaction, he's just... Got his head down in his hands. He's just looking off into the distance as the, you know, as the magnitude of what they're about to do is kind of hitting him. And McClooney's talking to himself and yet still having a conversation with Pitt. I love that whole... I, I can't even call it an exchange because Pitt does not reply. It's yeah. just he's met with silence. And Clooney's delivery of those lines fucking makes me giggle every time. So much of the first act of this movie rides on the shoulders of these two men and their chemistry. We've talked about it already, but it is so good. And I, I did laugh at that part. There was oh, there was one I was going to mention earlier. Um, oh, yeah, it was when uh, when George Clooney first comes to uh, first comes to Rusty with the idea for the job. And he gives this speech 
And Brad Pitt says, rehearsed that a lot, did you? He said, yeah, what do you think? Did I push it? He's like, no, it's good. <laughs> and they, they sort of have this this banter and this back and forth of the entire thing that only gets better. Do you want, here, here this is, again, that's one of my favorite lines, and I'm going to give you the whole quote. Sure. I need the reason. Don't say money. Why do this? Why not do it? Because yesterday I walked out of the joint after losing four years of my life in your cold deck and team beat cover boys. Because the house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes, the house takes you. Unless, when the perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. And then right there. Been practicing that speech, have you? A little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. No, it was good. I liked it. <laughs> team beat thing was harsh. <laughs> it's Pitt and Clooney and their chemistry just fucking killing it. Um, let's see. So they need one more. That's where they recruit Matt Damon, um, a very young Matt Damon. I like I like the intro to Matt Damon for a couple of reasons. One is the patience that the director has. He trusts the moment to play out really well. And it works even better because um, Matt Damon reaches into his pocket and he finds the note. What does it say? Nice lift. Yeah. And then uh, it has, has an address on it as well. No. It, oh, yes, it does. And yeah, it has, it has the name of a bar on it, I guess. Yeah. And then he shows up at the bar and you realize why he was reaching into his pocket in the first place. And uh, Danny is holding up a purse <laughs> or a wallet. Yeah. Or something like that. It was uh, it was pretty nice. And then even mid conversation, he steals the wallet back. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so then they, they got their whole crew. Mm-hmm. And this is where. The the scene where. Danny and Rusty tell everybody about the heist and they tell everybody about the casino. This is before CGI. And so if you know in the in, right behind Clooney's head, there's the whole uh, graphics of the vault yeah. of the Bellagio, the MGM Grand, and the Mirage all together. Because this is before they had great CGI – Clooney actually had to time his speech to the changing of the vis- the visuals on the thing behind him. That's tough. Yeah. That's definitely tough to do. Yeah. And uh that's also where we get the 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 first uh the first line reading by Yen in Mandarin that Pitt uh that Pitt fully understands. <laughs> um Oh, what did I want to say after that? I guess uh, the only other main people left to talk about are uh, the main antagonist, uh, Harry Benedict, played by Andy Garcia. Hmm. And then the love interest, Tess Ocean, played by Julia Roberts. Um, go ahead. Yeah, um, Andy Garcia um, as Terry Benedict. That was another thing that I actually wanted to touch on with with just another slight nitpick that I had with the movie that maybe you can even uh, alleviate my fears on is just that I didn't really even consider like like it was clear from the beginning from the introduction of uh, Benedict that he was the villain. No question. Yeah, but I didn't even really feel like he did anything particularly villainous or even like even something unreasonable until like the back third of this movie. Like I would have not that I need all my villains to be mustache twirling, but I don't know. I, I, he's, he's a very, um, 
well-respected individual. Um, the only, the only, and I'd say this with air quotes, the only bad things we really see him do is get, uh, get Ocean taken away into a side room and beaten. And that was because Ocean definitely overstepped his bounds talking to his wife. I'm not saying he was justified in doing it. I'm saying it's a reaction that many people would have, right? So I, I, like it was clear that Benedict was the villain from the beginning, and I, I don't even dislike him as a character. I just, I don't know, something felt, you know, um, let's say, average or um, mundane about him. Sure. Um, so you didn't catch the line where Ruben tells Danny and Rusty that Terry Benedict is the reason that Elliot was trying to build a casino and Terry Benedict torpedoed it. That's true. I did catch that line. I didn't particularly consider it. And that's okay. not to say uh, one thing I will say about Benedict and the way he's treated as a positive is, is that um, one of the things I've talked about many times with villains is that it's useful to establish their reputation before you establish them. And there is a lot of talk about what a powerful motherfucker Benedict is. Yes. Like I have written down in my notes several times before he's introduced who is Benedict who is he? He must be very important. And this movie does a really good job about talking about all the things he's done, all the things he's capable of, all the things he's currently doing, how rich he is. And they do a really good job of talking about him. I just didn't feel particularly invested when he was on screen. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're you're not really supposed to. I don't think he's supposed to come across, like you said, like his mustache twirling or yeah. is particularly evil. They're, he's just somebody. The two, the two things he did... The, the two things he did is, one, he torpedoed uh, Elliot's... Oh, sorry, not Elliot. That's, a, that's the actor's name. He torpedoed Ruben's uh, casino bid, so mm -hmm. that's why Ruben is willing to bankroll this heist. And then, two, he took Danny's wife. Yeah, which, hey, like if, if you want that as your motivation, like fine. I, I can totally buy that as, as, the, as a plot device. And this whole, this whole thing is, like I said, a very small nitpick in an otherwise great movie. It, it just something about the, the treatment of Benedict didn't quite work for me in the, in the sense that, um, the, the on-screen presence perhaps didn't quite match what we were told about him in the beginning of the movie. Fair enough. Um, what were your thoughts on Julia? Um, I don't know. She was there. <laughs> I, I really, that that was another sort of uninteresting is too strong of a word, but uh, it it certainly wasn't the interesting part of the movie. Nobody paid to see this movie to go see the George Clooney and Julia Roberts romance, as attractive as both of them are. I actually loved um, the scene between George Clooney and Julia Roberts at the dinner. That whole exchange mm -hmm. is so well written. And it's two movie stars doing movie star shit. Yeah. They're those biting lines that they, those little jabs she takes at him throughout. It's such, it reminded me of, of like mid 19th, mid 19th or mid 20th century dialogue. Um, like, uh, uh, Danny says to her, you know, I'm I'm out of prison. Supposedly, I paid my debt to society, and she's like, "Funny, I never got a check." And uh, she's like, uh, "She's like, I, you're not wearing my ring. I sold it. I don't have a husband. Or didn't you get the papers? Or didn't you, didn't you get the papers? My last yeah. day inside. I told you I'd write." <laughs> it's all these little this this whole scene 
is so well acted by the two of them. It's fucking fantastic. There was there was some very good lines, and I, I didn't necessarily dislike uh, the dynamic between the two of them. I think I was just having so much fun with the heist that oh, totally. I, I yeah. didn't honestly really want to spend a whole lot of time on this romance. Um, Julia Roberts' purpose, or rather uh, Tess's purpose, is basically, I mean, she she's the motivation for the entire heist. That was how I saw the motivation for her character. Like, it the heist doesn't really make a lot of sense without her. Like they could not have written this movie without her in it. Correct. Like, I don't think any I don't think any motivation for the characters would have been sufficient given the tone, given the characterization of Danny Ocean, give, given a bunch of different factors. It wouldn't have played as well if she wasn't the motivation. That being said, um you know, at times she did just kind of feel like you're right that their dialogue is quite good, but especially towards the end of the movie, it just kind of felt, I don't know, formulaic. Like the the fact that as soon as he pulls off the heist, she's immediately back in love with him. That part felt a little bit cheap to me, but you're right. They have they have a lot of fun moments together. Um, another one that we I don't think we've mentioned yet is um, when he chases her down and she says she doesn't want to talk to him. And he just says, hey, I'm just saying goodbye. And it's actually a really somber moment between the two of them Mm -hmm. of course we find out later that uh all danny was doing was planting a cell phone on her but um but nonetheless in the heat of the moment uh with without knowing that he's planting something on her it's actually um a a very um touching scene that doesn't actually have a lot of dialogue in it but is played very well um so they certainly have moments but i think i just wanted i wanted to see more of the heist i I was i was having a lot of fun with that stuff Fair enough. You want a, a nice little piece of trivia on how they got Julia in the movie? Sure. All right. Uh, the script was sent to Julia Roberts with a $20 bill attached to it. Included was a note from George Clooney that said, I hear you're getting 20 a picture now. This is, of course, <laughs> is a joke referencing that Julia Roberts became the highest paid actress at $20 million per picture. <laughs> that is really good. That's a – fuck, that is – that George Clooney's a smooth motherfucker, isn't he? Did you um, – I'm pretty sure you didn't. Okay. But did you happen to – there's no end credit sequence, but did you watch the credits for a little bit after the movie ended? I didn't, no. Okay. Again, it's the director having fun. This is the same This is the same guy that did Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, Soderbergh? Yeah, Soderbergh. Yeah. So at the end, at the end of the movie, the movie ends, and they roll the credits, and they go through everybody, and at the end, it says – and introducing Julia Roberts. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's pretty much most of the cast. Mm-hmm. The a couple things again, small things, and this is this is one of my favorites. <clears throat> Did you happen to notice how much Brad Pitt eats in this movie? No, I didn't. He's eating in almost every scene. Would you like a <laughs> list of it? Yes, I would. Okay. So this is everything that Brad Pitt eats in the movie. He's eating nachos outside the L.A. bar. He's eating popcorn at the circus. He's eating custard at the dog racetrack. He's eating salad in the hotel room, a lollipop outside the strip club, shrimp cocktail while he's talking with Linus when Tess emerges for the first time. He eats ice cream at the casino, and he eats a burger outside the prison and candy in the hotel room. If once you once you notice that Brad Pitt is eating in almost every scene, you can't unsee it. 
Why Why is that, though? It's just a weird thing for Soderbergh to do, I guess? No, it wasn't a Soderbergh choice. It was a Brad Pitt choice. Why? Brad felt that um, because these guys would be so busy planning, they wouldn't have a lot of downtime, so he would try to eat whenever he could. <laughs> That's so fucking cool. I love that. But <clears throat> you know how movies work. So if he's eating in the scene... That means he was eating all day in real life. Yes. So when he's – the rumor is that when he was eating the shrimp cocktail, when Julia Roberts came down, he had to eat over 100 pieces of shrimp that day. Holy shit. It's not easy staying that good looking. This is this is 2001. This is peak Brad Pitt. Yes. As far as attractiveness goes. So, yeah, he's he's trying to keep his uh, his chiseled form and he ate 100 pieces of shrimp in a day, legend has it. Yes. Damn. That's difficult. I like I love I love like I I can't wait for you to rewatch this when knowing how much he eats because once you see it you're like, "Oh my god, he's eating all the time." <laughs> in, I would say honestly, in the scenes that Brad Pitt's in, he's eating in over half of them. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's fucking awesome. Um, uh, what do I? But I, well, I'm just trying to figure out what else, what other notes I have here before we kind of get into the actual heist itself. Right. Um. Actually, you know what? That's kind of all I really have. Uh, everything else I have is just kind of some, some minor, trivia stuff. Uh, what other quotes? Let's see. What other quotes did I fucking love? Uh, that one I already talked about. I always loved when they taught when they were talking with Ruben. He just again, it's all that world building. He says just as they're about to leave, look, we all go way back, and uh, I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> and then he's like, that was our pleasure. And then Rusty <laughs> just quietly says, I'd never been to Belize. <laughs> yes but the dialogue between all the all the old friends and all the old associates is one of the highlights of the movie yeah so that oh you know yeah. sorry i nope. this really has nothing to do with anything right now but i just read another one of my notes of another funny line between pitt and clooney yes um when they're watching on the monitors and clooney just says why do they always paint hallways that color? And Pitt says, they say taupe is a very soothing color. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to do with the with the heist being planned at all. But it's just, it's it's how real people talk. Um, when the heist is kicked off with uh, Lyman Zerga, play, uh, or Saul, um, he goes out to the front to take delivery from his couriers. Again, this, I only... I, I'm, I can't wait to rewatch it because this is the this is a new one for me. But um, one of the you can hear the the guys bantering in Russian, and one of the phrases that you can hear is "Yasvas Lublu." Do you remember that? Does that sound a little familiar? Not really. "Yasvas Lublu" is the line early in the movie "The Great Escape" that James Coburn tells um, Charles Bronson. He, that's the only line I know in Russia. And he's like, I love you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> so uh, naturally, that's the only Russian you know. Yes, that is the only Russian I know. <laughs> Classic. Um, and then um, a little be piece of tidbit, again, that's funny. 
Uh, again, thing something I never noticed, but the scene where Virgil is controlling the remote control car or remote control van against against Turk, that's the only scene that the two of them are separated from one another. Every other scene, the two are actually together. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then the only... Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, yeah, okay, here's the note. I actually didn't, I didn't realize I actually wrote it down. Uh, according to Brad Pitt, uh, in nearly every scene Rusty's in, he's eating something. According to Brad Pitt, this is because the whole gang, his character in particular, would be so busy that they'd rarely be able to eat. So it was decided Rusty would eat all the time. He first mentioned this when he was eating after having worked all day without a break for lunch and was hungry because he thought it would be a good character trait for Rusty. This leads to a gag at the end of the film where Rusty gets heartburn and throws the food away. <laughs> he gets heartburn when he's driving away and he's you can see like he's like oh, and oh, it's, it's right when uh Clooney comes out he just finishes the burger he goes oh, and throws it yeah, away right. oh yeah 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 that's right yeah and then that's where Clooney says Ted Nugent called he wants his shirt back <laughs> yeah the, um, the, what, what is it he says something to Clooney first right yeah, he's like uh, I hope oh, you were, were you the, the were you the groom yeah were you the groom <laughs> <laughs> Nugent called he wants his shirt back <laughs> uh, the only other thing I want to talk about is something later in the film okay so the heist itself did you uh how did you like the little twist of it well in what sense in sense that they actually they were the SWAT team that the them building the Bellagio wasn't to train but to do the filming that kind of stuff yeah there's so many aspects of it I I alluded to this in the non-spoiler section I think but one of the things that make makes the heist play so well um, from a from an audience perspective is that there's so much information held back from the audience, and uh, Soderbergh knows exactly when to drop these tidbits of information. He, he knows just when to hold it back and make you, the audience, guess. Oh, what the what the hell? How are they gonna be able to pull off this aspect of the heist, or what does this aspect of the heist mean? And then when things start to lull just a little bit. He'll he'll explain a certain aspect of the heist. So like, um, yeah, the um, the the safe, um, the what's the word I'm looking for? The, the yeah, the vault. There you go. The vault being fake is just one of the many aspects of it. They reveal it just at the right time that uh, the vault was like the the whole thing is pre-recorded. I did sort of have an inkling that it, like the the way that the uh, audio is set up, the way that the the clip is spliced in. I did sort of have just sort of maybe a little bit of a hunch that it was pre-recorded, but um, overall played very well. And then, yeah, the SWAT team thing, I had no idea how they were going to get out of that building. <laughs> I, I, I I kind of arched an eyebrow when they were like holding his money hostage. And again, heavy air quotes on that. Uh, I, I sort of arched an eyebrow and thought, okay, but he could have lost $160 million anyway so why would he care about the 80 left to let you walk away with the 80 you have? Like, either way, he's either going to recover the 80 million in the vault or recover the 80 million that you have. So, like, the plan didn't make a lot of sense to me. So when he called the SWAT team in, I was like, yeah, of, of course you're going to call the SWAT team. I don't know how anyone could expect this to work. And I was totally... they. Steven Soderbergh had me by the short and curlies in that scene. Like oh. I, I, I was, I was a marionette, uh, at, uh, <laughs> the, you know, and he was, he was my puppeteer. He, 
he was really uh, he really had control over uh, my emotions in that scene. And then the reveal was was really, really good. Oh, good. I'm so glad. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it does take up a large chunk um, of the movie. And like you said, this movie is just about having fun, not really dissecting it. Um, and it is like you said, like everything goes right for them. There's no hiccups. There's no turns. And what you think is a hiccup when they when Clooney gets busted um, and flagged so he can't even be in the casino without being noticed. Uh, <laughs> turns out they planned that as well, right? Because Damon's the one that has to do the the role playing with Benedict in, instead of Clooney. But Clooney, but you know, Danny and Rusty plan for that because everything, like everything, worked out exactly the way they planned um which for a lot of people they'll have a problem with but if you just kind of let that go it's such a great it's such a great it's like a roller coaster ride just hang on have fun well one of the like the the reason why the heist or one of the many reasons why the heist works so well is the pacing of it because again like i sort of mentioned earlier you can't just have a heist where they walk into the casino everything goes their way and they leave with the money. And that's not at all what happens in this movie. There are all these little things that go wrong, which really accentuate the pacing and the tension of the entire heist. Um, there's the fit, like the small things like the briefcase on top of the, of the cart, um, that will prevent, uh, the acrobat dude from getting out. Um, and then the same guy overshoots his jump, um, and quickly recovers. It's, it's small things that, um, maybe only give you a little bit of a of a sense of danger, but it's enough to keep you invested in the movie. And then there's, like you said, Clooney getting busted, and um, there's Zerga having a heart attack, and you don't initially know, like, oh, is this part of the heist, or is, or is this planned? Yeah, um, or, or, or is it unplanned? Because they did play that Carl Reiner was, he had, well, he had ulcers. Yes, and, exactly. And that he's old. Yeah. So you don't really know what's real and what's not. And the, the the director just manages to sprinkle these little bits of information and these reveals at the correct moments. And it, it's really, really well paced for the entire thing. And this is basically the entire third act, right? Like this is like a half hour of the movie. Yeah, for sure. 45 minutes of the movie that this takes up. Yeah, good. And I, I'm glad I'm glad that, you know, like this is this is like the definition of a movie, just a suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. Just let go. Have fun. If you if you can do that, you're gonna have an absolute blast. Yes. And that's exactly what this movie was. So the the whole heist itself, too kind of complicated to go through step by step. I'm glad you enjoyed it, but it leads to one of my favorite moments of the movie. And that's where they have everything completed and they're all outside the Bellagio, with the exception of Danny, because he's gotta go to jail for his parole violation. Mm-hmm. They're all lined up <clears throat> outside the Bellagio water display while a song is being played. Do you know that song? I didn't know if you would. The uh, classical I music don't... piece? Claire I de don't... Lune by Debussy. Say again? It's called Claire de Lune. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't have that written down anyway. I think I recognized it um, just from the sound of it, but yeah, didn't couldn't put a name to it. I was, I was just curious because you, you have a, a vast knowledge of, of music and 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 stuff like that. So I wasn't sure if you'd know that piece. No, I recognized it, but yeah, I didn't recognize the name. Um, I love, I love that piece of music and I love that scene so much. Mm -hmm. And Soderbergh planned it out. Um, It's somewhat improvised in that Soderbergh 
wanted Brad Pitt to leave first and Carl Reiner to leave last. And the rest of the actors were just told to line up and depart in whatever order they felt was natural. And they all just give each other these looks, these we did it kind of looks, the satisfaction of a, a job gone well. And they just leave one by one. It's just, it sounds so ridiculous, but it's so beautifully shot. And that music just completely captivates me in that whole moment. Yeah, that was, that was a truly beautiful moment. And for all the talk of the great dialogue in this movie, um, I think the mark of a truly great director is uh, the ability to direct a dialogueless scene like this uh, that really is, a, is an emotional climax. And uh, yeah, it's a really well-constructed scene. And then we get to the very end where Clooney goes three to six months later. Clooney comes out of jail. There's his best buddy waiting for him with a little bit of heartburn after the burger. Yep. They uh, they jump in the car <laughs> and they uh, they drive away. Except they're being followed. And then the movie ends. Wonder what could, what that could be a setup to. <laughs> right? Mhm. How you, did you like how it ended? Yeah, I did. I um, again, when the credits rolled I, I was kind of left scratching my head a little bit because I was, like I mentioned earlier, expecting a little bit more fallout. Like I wasn't, even though it's a heist movie, I wasn't really expecting the movie just to be the heist. Again, I was kind of in triple frontier mode. Like I was like, okay, how's how's this going to go wrong now? Like what sort of fallout are they going to have from this? And then it just kind of ended. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's more of a fault of my expectations than it is of the movie uh, in any sort of way. So I, I was confused when the credits started to roll, but I was satisfied for sure. Good. Good. Uh, so that's kind of pretty much everything I wanted to touch on with that movie. I absolutely had a blast. I do have uh, – I don't think I have anything else. The only other trivia that I, I have <clears throat> that I didn't mention is um, the wig that Rusty wears when he's disguised as a doctor was actually Mike Myers' rehearsal wig for Austin Powers. <laughs> what a ridiculous trivia note i love it <laughs> and and that's it um the two that i have two other stupid notes um george clooney i don't know if you know is actually a renowned practical joker on set i did not know that um so him and the other actors frequently would call uh would leave 5 a.m wake-up calls for julia roberts room <laughs> when she that's did, so mean when she didn't have to be on set till noon Oh god. And then um if you do remember it's a it's a little plot point a little like uh-oh is this still going to happen kind of thing but when Saul's walking with Benedict uh one of when he's Zerga but somebody recognizes him as Saul. Yeah. Do you remember that? His the char- I do remember that, yes. the, the character's name is Bucky Buchanan. Yeah, I, I uh, Winter Soldier, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I did I, I kind of uh, again another arched eyebrow. Like, did he just did he just say Bucky Buchanan? <laughs> I didn't really like register it, but yeah, it's yeah Winter Soldier. You're like that doesn't look like Sebastian Stan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all I have. Like all the other trivia I kind of talked about uh, during the uh, while we were talking, but I do have some casting. Okay, yeah, casting. Some, some casting what ifs. Um, 
and you can let me know what you think if these people would have uh, been better or uh, worse or uh, completely outlandish okay um the um mark Wahlberg turned down the part of linus caldwell to to star in the movie planet of the apes an amazing career decision by all accounts but uh i think i think it worked out well for everyone i i don't dislike matt damon in just about anything maybe that's because i don't go out of my way to watch bad movies but you know matt damon is one of my faves yeah i'm with you there i i don't think i would have liked mark Wahlberg would have brought a different i, I like how matt damon is allowed he he's allowed to have himself be made fun of, and I don't think Mark Wahlberg would allow that. Yeah, Matt Damon plays timid a little bit better. Yeah, I, I got a lot more of that from him than I think I would have gotten from Mark Wahlberg. Um, Luke and Owen Wilson were to play uh, Virgil and Turk. You know what? I I like the Wilson brothers. I like all the shitty comedies they did in the early two thousands. So I would have been fine with that. But again, the the casting that we got is uh, is just fine. Oh, I know. Um, kind of wish, kind of wish, if they were gonna go with real life brothers, they would have gone with Casey and Ben Affleck. That might have been nice. But you know, I can live with Scott Con. Well, there's there's there is a rumor that Ben Affleck has an uncredited cameo in the movie because he was on set. During the uh-huh. filming, visiting Matt and Casey, but nobody has nobody has ever confirmed it. No one spotted him. So I need that clip in my life. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's in it. Um, Danny Glover turned down the role of Frank Catton. So Danny Glover. Yeah, Danny Glover okay. and the and the two Olsons they turned down the role because they all went and starred in the Royal Tannenbaums. Okay, which I have not seen. Uh, it's a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Um, originally cast as Danny Ocean was Bruce Willis. Would have been a different movie. Like I, I don't dislike Bruce Willis by any stretch of the imagination, but George Clooney is just perfectly cast as Danny Ocean. Yes, agreed. Uh, Ewan McGregor was considered for the role of Basher. I mean, the British accent would have been better. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely... I. Say what you will about uh, the prequels, because obviously being a 1996 baby, the prequels were my introduction to Ewan McGregor, the Star mm-hmm. Wars prequels, that is. Um, but he's just about the only good thing about the cast in those movies, I would say, looking at you, Hayden Christensen. Um, yeah. I can't even really think of a whole lot else off the top of my head that I've seen Ewan McGregor in, but I, I enjoy him. I, I enjoy him when I do see him in things every now and again. You, should, ch- you should check out Big Fish. Big fish. Yep. Yeah, I have not seen it. Yeah, but yeah, I Don Cheadle. I've, maybe he's different in uh, the next two, but honestly, he was probably one of the weaker members of the eleven for me. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. Mm, Warren Beatty, Michael Douglas, and Ralph Fiennes were considered for Derry Benedict. I mean, take your pick. I don't disagree with any of those. <laughs> uh, Michael Douglas as Terry Benedict would have been fantastic. Ralph yeah. Fiennes, meh. Yeah, like I said, Andy <clears throat> Garcia, I mean, he did not do a poor job, but there was something sort of missing for Benedict for me. I, I could have used, I don't know, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, he, he just didn't have an intimidating presence. Some I more found. menace. Like, not, that I, 
not that I needed him to like go out and like strangle anyone or anything like that. Like, I didn't need to see him do some mustache twirling villainous things, but I think a Michael Douglas sort of uh, personality, like sort of a like a stone face. Like you see Michael Douglas and that guy just looks like your stern father, you yeah. know. He just looks like someone who is not to be fucked with. Yeah, like Michael Douglas from the game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And this is uh is this roughly the same era as the game or is the game before this? Game should be before this. Before this. It's 100% 90, before 97? No, 99 is Fight Club. Okay. I'm I'm just going to look it up real yeah. quick. I think you're right. I I don't doubt your movie trivia about anything, but I need confirmation. That's fine. 97. I, I, yeah. Was I right? Yep, 97. <laughs> um, Alan Arkin was originally cast as Saul, uh, but he dropped out for personal reasons. Oh, okay. Carl Ryan did a fine job. Um, uh, Don Rickles was an early choice to play Saul. <sighs> May he rest in peace. Yeah. Um, Spike Jones was originally cast as Danny Ocean, but he dropped out to direct Adaptation. Spike Jones was going to be Danny Ocean? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's just because I recently rewatched Moneyball and his character in that movie is the dweebiest motherfucker ever. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I just could not see him as Danny Ocean. But yeah, I, I mean, Spike Jones is a brilliant director. You haven't seen her, have you? No, but oh, hers, hers is a great movie. Adaptation is a great movie. I have not seen Adaptation. Yeah, great movie. Spike Jones episode coming up. Oh, just right. Just, I'm, I'm not saying that because that's not even remotely in the works. Um, Joel and Ethan Cohen were offered the roles of Virgil and Turk. Really? Yes. Okay. I mean, I have nothing really to comment about their acting abilities. It's a very fun fact. I had a lot of fun hearing it, but yep. that's just weird to me, and it probably would not have been the right choice in the long run. Agreed. They did decline, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. I got a couple really crazy ones, so let's go okay. next. Um, yeah. This guy was actually offered to write the screenplay, but turned it down. And this gentleman's name is John Favreau. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have loved John Favreau's edition of this movie. I don't know if you would have been able to write as complex or riveting of a heist my apologies to john favreau who i like but uh no i i like the screenplay that we got all right this was um gonna be a little cameo but uh bill murray was supposed to play a lounge singer but the part was dropped when he was too busy filming the royal tannenbaums <sighs> damn you wes anderson i know and this is the last one this guy was considered for the role of linus and it would have made it a very different movie and that gentleman's name is johnny depp ah boo this is 2001 <laughs> when having johnny depp in your movie was automatic dollars well i guess it still is in 2019 no this but... is this was before pirates oh that's true yes yeah no keep keep johnny depp away from my oceans 11 thank you very much agreed and that's everything that's all i got you say that like it's not a lot. <laughs> I know, my bad. Let me see if I can that find That was one. it. Those are my alternatives for every cast member, and that's it. <laughs> um, so, what's your favorite scene? Oh, God. I mean, the entire last 45 minutes? I don't know. Like, <laughs> the heist is just so, so much fun. I mean, I, I can't think of a scene in the first... Uh, two acts of this movie of of the crew being introduced and the the heist being planned that really um, 
exceeds the fun of the heist. I think you may have hit the nail on the head when you talked about um, the reveal of the SWAT officers. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really fun moment. And like I said, uh, Soderbergh had me by just like he, he had me on a string through through that entire sequence. So, so he was like John I, Malkovich? Yes, exactly. It was, yeah, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A Spike um, Jones so, film. So I think off the top of my head, uh, the exact moment where the where the SWAT reveal happens is one of the better in the movie. For me, my favorite scene um, is the Bellagio water uh, at the end. It's mm-hmm. in a, a movie that's so fun and so light and so lovely and so entertaining how it slows it down and they have this like hauntingly beautiful moment between all these actors again like you said without any dialogue with that absolutely majestic music playing over top of it just it gets me it gets me every time mm-hmm. yeah that's, no that's a good pick i can't disagree with that all right oh, by the, oh. sorry we, we already did favorite scene and what i'm about to say is not another option for favorite scene but there was one moment i really wanted to touch on that i just remembered right now that yes. i like that i totally respect from a directorial and a writing perspective yep fire is um the scene um we already talked about i when they're stealing um the pinch it, yeah the pinch exactly when when they when they're picking up the pinch and uh they're they're escaping and the vandor slams on uh the acrobat's hand yep uh and that being um a Chekhov's gun sort of for for later in the movie like the fact that he gets his hand slammed in the door is so breezed past like it's not even set up as like a problem going into the heist or anything like that we just see him bandaging up his hand and he's good to go and then it gets caught in the door later and i was like damn that's good writing like if you <laughs> if you put something in the movie it should have relevance at another point in the movie unless it's you know like a red herring or something like that but yeah that when when he got his hand caught in the vault door i i honestly was giddy like because <laughs> of just what a what an amazing tiny tiny detail it is oh that's awesome i love to hear yeah. that kind of stuff wicked yeah um so sam your final thoughts on ocean's 11 well, like I said, I don't know why it took me so long to see this movie, and it was just every bit as good as everyone has told me it is, including yourself, Manny. Um, George Clooney and Brad Pitt have an unbelievable chemistry as the two leads of this movie, on top of being breathtakingly gorgeous, the two of them. Um, it, it, they just have so much fun with the dialogue in this movie and the improvisation that was thrown in there, no doubt. Um, the supporting cast is very good. Even uh, even Don Cheadle, who I said I didn't have a ton of fun with, but even he has some great moments in this movie. Um, everyone's really pulling their weight, both in terms of the acting and in terms of the actual heist that's going on. Um, it's it's a fun ride from front to back. Even though the heist is the highlight of the movie, the setup, the assembly of the crew is just so fun with the introductions to all these characters. Um, yeah, I, I have very little negative to say. I, I could have maybe used a little bit more doubt in my mind like maybe maybe they set up the crew a little bit too well in the sense that i just could not even believe for a second that this heist was not going to go off without a hitch um and you know i i could have maybe used a it could uh, as you just touched on maybe been the casting with andy garcia's terry benedict i don't know something didn't work with me about the villain but um other than those two very minor nitpicks i had an absolute blast front to back very good movie wicked I'm with you 100%. This is one of my all-time favorites 
possibly could be in my top 20 uh, as a foreshadow for down the road. This is a movie when it 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 could crack it. This is definitely I'll, I'll be honest. This is definitely in the consideration. Spoiler alert: will not be in my top ten, but could <laughs> could crack that top twenty. Um, this movie is an absolute joy and an absolute pleasure to watch. This is pure popcorn theater at its best. You you just sit back, relax, watch these movie stars be movie stars, having the time of their lives, playing with in, with with fun dialogue is it great dialogue is this going to be a screenplay nomination no but it's good enough where it allows the the story to move forward and some characters are given especially again especially the dinner scene between Clooney and Roberts there's such great witty banter between the two of them with these great little one-liners it's it's such an absolute joy to watch and i it honestly just warms my heart knowing that you enjoyed it uh, as much as you did. I, sure I, did, I always get worried. I'm like, fuck! I'm I, eventually I'm gonna pick a movie that uh, I know you won't like. Oh man, there, there's nothing worse than recommending a movie to somebody and them not liking it. Am I right? Yeah. Like off, off the, the top of my head, uh, a friend of mine named Cam. Shout out to Cam. He's hey, not listening. Whatever. Hey Cam, you're gonna start <laughs> listening now. We just shout out uh, to you. He's a big horror movie fan. Oh shit! So I told him I was like. You gotta watch the Babadook. The Babadook is a great horror movie. And I like explained, like I sort of like set it up really well, and I was like so excited for him to go watch it. And he texted me after. He's like, "Yeah, it was okay." Oh. <laughs> I was just like, I was so I was so upset. I have I have a I have a similar story. Yeah. Uh, my friend Jody, uh, shout out to Jody. She doesn't listen, but I'm I'm gonna tell her that I gave her a shout out in this show, and I'm great. It's at the end. She'll have to listen to the whole thing. Hi, Jody, or she can fast forward. Yeah, oh, that's true. I'm not gonna tell her it's at the end. I'm just gonna tell her I shouted her out. Yeah, she right. too was actually she had a girls night and she they were going to watch a scary movie so she asked me for a recommendation <laughs> so i told her i'm like horror's not my genre but i'm going to give you a, a list of a couple that i've heard are really good i mentioned the babadook that was the first one yeah. i said and then i think i listed off um high tension uh which is one that i have seen that's actually kind of scary which of side note, if anybody wants to see the very definition of what a trailer should be for a movie, check out the trailer for the movie High Tension. It is perhaps one of the greatest trailers ever made. Okay. Um, I think I put on uh, what was that one? Uh, Hereditary, which I've heard is uh, insanely, and then uh, a couple other ones as well as uh, Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. and which I've heard. I, I have not seen Cabin in the Woods, but. Everybody I talk to uh, about horror movies usually says Cabin. I think that's one of Jordan's favorite horror movies. Yeah, that's the one they went with, and she uh, hated it. Really? Yeah. <sighs> and uh, should have watched the Babadook. It hurt. It hurt my heart. It hurt my heart. And I, I yeah. told her, I'm like, I failed you. I will not fail you again. Mm-hmm. So Jody, uh, like I said in the messages, um, next time you need a movie recommendation, just let me know, and I will make it up to you. <laughs> I uh, there's a, a guy I kind of know through work. I don't really work with him, but he's sort of is in the store every now and again as a rep for one of the companies that we carry. Mm-hmm. And he's a big movie buff. And I, I wonder if he's listening. Shout out to Ryan if you are. I hey, gave him the name of the podcast. Ryan, wicked. Uh, and he's been telling me for as long as I've known him, which is like a year and a half, that I need to watch Drag Me to Hell. And I have yet to do it because I'm a terrible person. Oh, that is you are a terrible person. Yeah, truly. All right. <laughs> so, Sam, moment of truth. You're rating. Out of five, you got a guess. I uh, as always, I have my prediction. I, right. I think I think my prediction's wrong. 
Cause, oh, okay. Because I always give my I, – I write down my prediction before you've said a word to me. I write my prediction down before you and I have talked. Oh, okay. I know. That's that's how that's how my predictions are. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. But today, I think we're pretty in tune most of the time. You've been on a little bit of a cold streak recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my prediction, Sam, is that you're going to give Ocean's Eleven a four. That's correct. Yeah, you were so enthusiastic. I, I was like, "I'm like, is he gonna give it a five? No, it's not quite a five. And honestly, that may be a problem with me as a movie fan is that I feel very hesitant to give anything a five on, especially on first watch. Mm-hmm. Um, a five movie for me is almost exclusively movies that I'm just in love with that have almost infinite rewatchability. Yep. Um, like perhaps my bar for a five is too high, but nonetheless, I feel this movie is well-deserving of a four. It's a, it's a firm four. There are some that barely make the cut. This yep. one's firmly in four territory. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Glad to hear it. So I got that. I nailed it. Wicked. Nailed yeah. it. And yourself? Uh, it's a five. Oh, there's a surprise. Yeah. Five. Five, <laughs> five, 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 five. This was a five when I watched it. It's a five. When I re when I rewatch it, and it's a five every time I watch it. This is this is just an absolute gem of a film for me. I I can put this on anytime. This is like com this is like comfort food for me. I yeah. fucking love this movie. And I I like the way you uh, sort of characterized it. Is that this is a movie you can sit down like we just did and invest yourself in it and break it down and talk about the the way it's written and the dialogue and all this stuff. Or it's a movie you can put on and just have like a good guys night. It's a movie you can put on in the background while you do some chores around the house. Like this, this is a movie that can be enjoyed on multiple levels because it's well constructed, but it's also just a fuck ton of fun. Yeah, totally. Um, so that uh, kind of wraps up our uh, our review of Ocean's Eleven. One day uh, down the road, maybe we'll uh, we'll tackle uh, Ocean's Twelve and Thirteen. Yeah, I, I have heard Ocean's Twelve is not quite as good. 12 and 13 are not quite as good but mm-hmm. also again i gave this movie a five so that would have to be uh, i would think off the top of my head and uh you can't hold me to them i would say 12 and 13 are probably for me fours okay they're still a lot of fun but they do not reach this level all right no i'm, I'm open to it down the road of course so i i definitely think it if anybody, anybody that's listening, if you enjoyed Ocean's Eleven, you're going to enjoy 12 and 13. They're just not going to be, in my opinion, they're just not as good as this. There is a, well, I won't even get into it. I won't even get into <laughs> we'll it. We'll talk about it uh, down the road. How yeah, there, there definitely is the potential for some people to have a big problem with 12 for one of the, one of the big plot points, and I can totally understand why they would have a problem with it but for me i bought into it and so to me it was delightful but for some people i can totally understand why they wouldn't like it well damn now i now i kind of want to go watch oceans 12 yeah. and see what the big deal is yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um <laughs> okay so that uh, that wraps up um our view of oceans 11 uh if you would give us a uh rating on itunes a five-star rating and a positive review will increase our profile so more people can find this lovely little podcast we have also you want to send us a message we'd love to hear your thoughts on oceans 11 you can contact us on instagram and twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie or on email at sam manny podcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our facebook the samuel emmanuel movie podcast 
So for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Should we get one more? Do you think we should get one more? All right, we'll do one more. <laughs> I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.